0: Hey everybody, this is Brittany from Slanted Spines, and uh, I'm really excited because I'm starting a new segment for my blog called Tell All the Truth But Tell It Slant. I'm here with my boyfriend, Brian. Hey. Also known as Kid Rap of, from Tree City Records. Yo. Um, we're, I'm sort of partnering with um, his project with Tree City Records to sort of bring you this podcast, and i uh, really excited. We're going to be talking about literature today. And uh, about how characters and their writers tell the truth, but also tell it slams.
1: <laughs> Sounds like fun.
0: Yeah, I'm excited.
1: <laughs> so, what we're we starting with today?
0: Um. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about *The Great Gatsby* by F. Scott Fitzgerald,
1: an American classic. An
0: American classic, indeed. I've read it several times throughout my um <laughs> collegiate uh, education, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, so uh, I guess we're going to start off by talking about F. Scott Fitzgerald, the man himself, and his interesting life. Um, He was born in the end of the 1800s, and uh, he was from the Midwest, um, just a normal dude, kind of. He was in the war a little bit, but uh, he had a thing for this woman named Zelda, um, but she wasn't sure if he'd be able to support her financially, so... They actually broke off their engagement because of that, but after he published his first novel, which was a huge success, called This Side of Paradise, uh, they resumed their engagement and got married. Um, maybe maybe that sort of sounds familiar. Sounds like cool. a daisy. <laughs> sounds like a daisy-Jay Gatsby dynamic, maybe. <laughs> um, but yeah, they partied a lot during this Prohibition era, Zelda and uh, Francis Scott Fitzgerald and they did a lot of traveling. They had a daughter um, they called Scotty, and uh, sort of uh, Zelda took a downward spiral towards the end of their marriage. Uh, She ended up being institutionalized.
1: She had schizophrenia or something? Yeah,
0: that's what they say anyway, you know, how they treated women in the the mental health (laughs) industry back then, but I won't go into that. (laughs) But, uh, and then, F. Scott Fitzgerald ended up dying at age 44 of a heart attack. So, sad to see what may have come if he was able to live longer. What other American classics may have been uh, gifted to us.
1: We got like five novels out of one.
0: That's true, that's true. We've got so much content in The Great Gatsby alone. Short stories. <laughs> yes, he actually wrote uh, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, which I found out. Yeah. I didn't know he wrote that. I so. have
1: to bring that back for another podcast I, as well.
0: never saw the movie. There's going to be something in the <laughs> truth yeah and how it's slanted <laughs> so after talking about uh f scott's f scott fitzgerald's life <laughs> um it actually sounds pretty similar to the real true story of jim gatsby um from the novel the great gatsby there's If you've read it you'll know that there's the life that Jay actually lived versus the life that he sort of, you know, tells everybody he lived. A man of mystery that Jay Gatsby is the curious case of Jay Gatsby.
1: (laughs) There might be some connection there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But uh so what actually happened in Jay's life is that he is from the Midwest, normal dude, sounds familiar. He uh was in the war a little bit, but um ended up having a thing for this gal named Daisy. Um, There's a a nice scene in the novel where he's back from the war visiting her and they're in the evening, you know, gazing at each other. Um, But ultimately, uh, he wasn't able to support Daisy financially, so she sort of ended up marrying Tom, and uh, Jay, of course, went into this crazy pursuit to accumulate money so that he could get the love of his life, Daisy.
1: And by any means necessary.
0: Yes. Like bootlegging, you know. Uh, he knows that Wolfshimer dude who fixed the World Series.
1: <laughs> and uh, But keep in mind, this is the Roaring Twenties. Right, is,
0: yes. This was probably normal.
1: Yeah, this was uh, just this a is guy pursuing the Amer- American dream, you know, coming yeah. home from war.
0: Yeah, totally, and like...
1: Pursuing the American dream. Doing whatever it takes to, you know, get that woman that you love and build your wall. That's that's what it was. Yeah. You know, Own the biggest house in the lot and throw the best parties.
0: Yeah. And bootlegging, you know, was like a crime back then, you know, because it was during Prohibition. But, you know. So it's, it's that whole, like, was he wrong for it just because it was the law? <laughs> but, uh, but what he ended up telling everybody, um, his story was, is that he, uh, he was from the Midwest, which actually when Nick asked him specifically, he said San Francisco, uh, which isn't, in my opinion, the Midwest, <laughs> but, uh, and he says he, Joey's uh, told everybody that he was from a wealthy family and that his um, parent, when his parents had passed away, he came into some wealth um, and was educated at Oxford um, and traveled and was in the war. He was a war hero. He shows, uh, mm-hmm. he shows Nick that, uh, that Valor, that medal of Valor or something, um, on their car ride into the city. But, and then there's all the, there's a third life of Jay Gatsby's actually, which is. And Nick was in
1: the war as well, aren't
0: it? Yes, yes, he was. Well, I feel like a lot of, so was Tom, I think. Yeah,
1: it was the thing to do back then.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it was the draft. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, but then there's uh, Jay's third life, which is the life that everybody talks about him. You know, they're mm-hmm. like, I heard he killed somebody. Like, you know, all, everybody goes to his
1: party. Nobody knows what he looks like. Yeah, nobody
0: at the party knows who he is even.
1: It's it's interesting.
0: Yeah, it's, that's quite a life. And then, and then, yeah, at the center of all this is just this man who desperately wants to have the woman he loves love him back you know
1: he's doing all this for attention and yet he has for the attention of one person and yet he has all of this attention that he doesn't want
0: from other people from other people like nick and you know
1: everybody yeah all the people attending his parties everything. talking
0: about him but all of that is so hollow you know i mean not nick not Nick's, but everybody else. You know, nobody attends his funeral.
1: And it's not—it's not even that he doesn't enjoy it. That is how, i think it's just not complete. Yes. Yet without, <laughs> without Daisy. Without
0: Daisy. That's
1: the—that's the whole problem of it. Because I think Gatsby does everything because that's what he wants. You know, he's still—you know—is pursuing the American dream, mm-hmm. but he can't complete it.
0: And it's interesting what you say about it's still him to pursue the American dream. Is because when his father comes back at the end of the novel. Um, He has Gatsby's old journals, which have, um, like, a schedule written in them, like, from when he was a child. Like, you know, his work ethic has always been, you know, very, um, very productive and very, you know, regimented and disciplined. Um, And I think that once he found Daisy, all of that was, like, honed, like, towards her, you know? Yeah. Man. (laughs) So as we're talking about uh, Francis's life and Jay's life, we notice that the dynamic between uh, Francis and Zelda, and the dynamic between Daisy and Jay, sort of parallel, or sort of parallel, um, in the way that both men weren't necessarily um, attractive, I guess, to the to the women um, until they had enough like money, and to me, I'm thinking that maybe that sort of, like, bothered Francis a lot, so much that, you know, he wrote about it in this novel, you know, that he wasn't able to financially provide for Zelda, you know, that, so much that she would break off the engagement because of it.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, I, that's part of the American dream, is being able to support your family, I feel like, being able to create your family, and being able to support your family, so if you can't. You know, yeah.
0: it's like oh, and probably she's probably looking out for herself. Like, yeah, like feelings are cool and all, but a girl's gotta, a girl's gotta eat,
1: yeah, or even her family. You know, yeah, it's like, yeah, like you of... can't marry him.
0: Yeah, because he just
1: have money to support you.
0: Daisy's family was wealthy, and and they would have surely disapproved of Jay. They loved Tom, you know, because he came from a wealthy family. Um, and I wonder, I don't know about Zelda's family, but you know. With with all the the media, the magazines, you know, selling this American dream sort of lifestyle, um, people buy into that and they become emotionally invested in that. And if they don't, you know, live the life that the that the magazines and the tabloids say you should be living, that I don't know, that makes you feel kind of melancholy about it. <laughs> And then also in the middle of this uh, Jay, Daisy, uh, Tom love triangle, uh, you have Nick who is Daisy's cousin and Jay's neighbor. He's our narrator of this of this novel and he kind of presents himself um, right off the bat. He begins the novel by saying, yo I'm Nick and uh, you can trust me. He says that he's going to reserve all judgment um, because you know, because of advice his father gave him, that everybody doesn't have his fortune in life, and that's something that he tries to think about. Um, but something that we should note as the reader is that you know, should we trust him when he says that he's gonna, you know, withhold judgment? And I think that the way that he sort of um,
1: tells, tells us, the story. tells us,
0: read <laughs> my mind, tells the story proves that he's not such the unbiased narrator that he. Claims yeah, to be. Claims to be. Um, one, you can you can tell that... You have to consider also um, that this novel is written by Nick um, looking back on it. So already you have everything that he knows about how the story turned out affecting how he narrates it.
1: And his memory from yeah, whenever and, he's recounting this tale.
0: Yeah, and as we all know, when you tell stories about things that happened in the past, you're not going to remember them perfectly. (laughs) And, uh, and I think we, we see that because you can tell because he paints Jay so wonderfully, kind of from the beginning, when he kind of admits that he hated him for a little bit, you know, Mm -hmm. who is this guy? Um,
1: Which is probably mostly just envy.
0: Yeah, and all the rumors he was hearing, Mm -hmm. you know, made him skeptical. Trusting. For good reason too though, because he he was kind of leaving a double life. But and then also with the narration, um, even in the novel, you know, uh Nick makes certain judgments that contradict, you know, his non judgment claim. He talks about how, you know, he was sick of these people, these eastern, you know, people who just party all the time and um, he talks about just like the way he describes describes Tom in that first scene paints him so like much like this masculine, brute man. And, and you can tell how Nick feels <laughs> about Tom from that description, no matter how much he says, he's not judging anybody. <laughs> but uh, um, he is, I actually, uh, I wrote a paper about um, Nick being an unreliable narrator. Okay. Um, and just that that craziness, I was thinking about uh, sharing that uh, alongside this podcast um, for any readers that wanted to, uh, to sort of delve into that um, unreliable narrator concept. So, any more. Um, I reread this book a little bit, or skimmed it a little bit before we did the podcast, um, and as I was doing that, I found a passage toward the beginning of the novel that I thought was kind of funny in theme with the tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Uh, I wonder if um, Fitzgerald read Emily Dickinson at all. (laughs) But um, I'm going to read it to you. Um, It goes with Tom saying, Don't believe everything you hear, Nick, he advised me. I said lightly that I had heard nothing at all, and a few minutes later, I got up to go home. They came to the door with me and stood side by side in a cheerful square of light. As I started my motor, Daisy... Peremptor- peremptorily, <laughs> called, Wait, I forgot to ask you something, and it's important. We heard you were engaged to a girl out west. That's right, corroborated Tom kindly. We heard that you were engaged. It's a libel, I'm too poor. But we heard it, insisted Daisy, surprising me by opening up in a flower-like way. We heard it from three people, so it must be true. And I thought that was kind of funny um, because of how the truth gets distorted. Nick admits that he does have a girlfriend, um, sort sort of like figure in his life from out west but um, later on he admits he's annoyed by it because he certainly didn't want to be rumored into marrying her
1: <laughs> I like that he said it's a lie boy. yeah like, like someone else is speaking on him like defamation to his yeah, it, yeah
0: yeah and how that affects him about not wanting to be rumored into marrying her I like that Daisy says I, but we heard it from three people so it must be true
1: and then the uh, whole irony of Tom just saying, don't believe everything Yeah, and you then hear. later,
0: I wonder if he was sort of saying it sarcastically, like, oh, yes, we heard it, like, yeah. or if he realizes, you know, he's being a hypocrite.
1: It would have even been funnier if that's how Nick would have responded. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: right? If he was like, oh, did you hear it? <laughs>
1: like, don't believe everything you hear, Tom.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but it really feels like Fitzgerald is coming through right there during that dialogue to sort of say something, you know, about... About telling the truth and and the rumors, you know, because rumors are such a huge uh, theme in the in the novel, especially surrounding Jay.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I have another excerpt I wanted to point to. It's towards the end of chapter two. Um, Tom and Nick and Myrtle are all at the apartment party. Um, it's sort of winding down. They've been drinking all night and. Um, Mr. McKee, one of the um, people at the party, goes to leave, and Nick follows him. Um, Come to lunch some day, Mr. McKee suggested, as we groaned down in the elevator. Where? Anywhere. Keep your hands off the lever, snapped the elevator boy. I beg your pardon, said Mr. McKee with dignity. I didn't know I was touching it. All right, I agreed. I'll be glad to. Ellipsis. I was standing beside his bed. And he was sitting up between the sheets, clad in his underwear with a great portfolio in his hands. Beauty and the Beast, loneliness, old grocery horse, brook and bridge. Then I was lying half asleep in the cold lower level of the Pennsylvania station, staring at the Morning Tribune and waiting for the four o'clock train. So, let me break this down a little bit. Um, if we're talking about possibly slanted truths, so Nick is very drunk. He admits, um, earlier in this passage that he was drunk this evening. Um, and then Mr. McKee leaves by himself and Nick follows. And then we have the elevator boy telling them to keep the hands off the lever, which is a possibly phallic image. And then we have the ellipsis, which, which suggests something happened, mm-hmm. um, between the last paragraph in this one. And maybe we don't know what it is because Nick was drunk. Maybe he had to leave it out because of the the year, 1925, that this book was published. Um, and then we have him looking at photographs that Mr. McKee took, such as Beauty and the Beast and Loneliness. And then we have Nick waiting for the 4 o'clock train. That's 4 o'clock AM, folks.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. That train ride of shame. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so... Um, This is, those are some of the, um, some of the evidence people point to when they want to suggest that Nick had possibly bisexual tendencies or was bisexual in this novel. Um, because we also have Jordan who's described very as a very masculine woman. She's the typical flapper build where she's like very kind of flat chested, lanky kind of boyish looking and Nick, you know, has a thing for Jordan in the novel. Um, which is another thing that people um, often use as a as evidence for Nick's bisexual tendencies. And you got to think um, this is something that maybe you don't know, but F. Scott Fitzgerald um, is known to have um, dressed in women's clothes during his time um, in theater. Um, you know, in Paris with Hemingway, and and there's a lot of there are a lot of articles out there that talk about um, about uh, Fitzgerald and his um, curious uh, or confused sexuality. How he sort of, you know, was like leery of feminine beauty and, uh, and you know, maybe maybe rode the line a little bit back and forth. <laughs> but I think that's something that this this passage when I first read the novel, I. not at all. Was Mr.
1: McKee married at all?
0: Yes, his wife was at the party. Okay, that's what I thought. He left by himself. (laughs)
1: Yeah, he he left without Mrs. McKee.
0: Yes, and Nick followed. Yeah. And then actually, just a paragraph before the scene when they leave, um, Nick's talking about Mr. McKee and and he takes out a handkerchief and sort of like wipes off a piece of um, lather that Mr. McKee had on his neck from shaving that uh, he noted earlier about it bothering him, and so so very very tenderly, as Mr. McKee is sort of asleep on the couch before he leaves, he does that, and you know when I talked when we talked about this in my class, that was that was what we sort of um had wondered about you know was that
1: that little foreshadowing that
0: little foreshadowing the dot dot dot, <laughs> but there's another slanted truth for you to consider. <laughs>
1: I think it's interesting that all this happens right after Tom uh, strikes uh, Myrtle in the in nose. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just the I'm starting to realize that I don't think he had F. Scott Fitzgerald that is had any faith in marriage whatsoever.
0: <laughs> For real, that's why a lot of people say maybe he was gay. All of the protagonist, a lot of the protagonists in his novels suffered. Because they love women,
1: <laughs> but it's so interesting because he you know he works so hard to like marry marry Zelda. Zelda to provide for her, and I don't know it just for reading even just this one passage it just makes me think infidelity like, the infidelity no, like, the domestic abuse uh, just the, the homosexuality like just all of it like
0: I mean and and it's interesting. That you say that because Francis you know their marriage Francis and Zelda like their marriage you know wasn't you know totally pure like there was infidelity Mm -hmm. and drinking and you know fights and tension and he kind of had her locked away um but yeah it is interesting that he worked so hard to have this to be wealthy and to have the money to marry Zelda you know which was the American dream and how that seemed to kind of all fall apart Mm -hmm. maybe he sort of like admits that in writing this novel you know that here's this american dream isn't this what you want but maybe maybe it's not what it cracked this cracked up to be i think this novel is, is a perfect uh one to start off the series about telling the truth but telling it slant um, because of the abundance of slanted truths in it but also yeah you, you just read that <laughs> but uh but also because um I think it it does a good job of reminding us um as readers to to question what we're reading you know to to look for those slanted truths and just think about like what the narrator saying um can we believe it and where is it coming from and what's the writer's intention and to just sort of like be aware that there are slanted truths out there and that
1: and how they shape the way our perception of what we're reading or the stories that we're being told
0: and the emotions we feel and, and the judgments we make and, and just our, you know, nothing's perfect. You know, nothing's going to be all truth. You know, we're all human. And so we, we put our, our hands on the things that we say and and the truths that we experience.
1: And I think especially with uh, the truth that, F. Scott Fitzgerald was trying to sell. It was, you know, the same truth that, you know, the American government was trying to sell at that time, you know. It, when we talk about the American dream being the truth, of the, the slanted truth of, like, Jay Gatsby.
0: This is the truth. This is the way to live.
1: That I think that that's what F. Scott Fitzgerald was trying to really tell tell us in his slanted truth, was that the American dream itself is a slanted truth
0: yeah, it's like, it's a truth, but is it a truth? And, and with with Nick being such an unreliable narrator constantly reminding us that he's unbiased, and he's the most honest man that he knows, yet he's consistently showing us instances where he's not um, all that he says he is, I think that Fitzgerald really is trying to say, you know, hey, (laughs) use your eyes, people, like, you know, look for these slants, look for these inconsistencies, the hypocrisy, question things, be a critical consumer. And I think that's something that even ties into our lives now, you know, in, in more than just reading literature, but you know, in, in how we live our lives and what we aspire to be and who we aspire to love and how to love them and and what we and what standards we hold ourselves to and how we should be living our lives. I agree. <laughs> yeah, but this is definitely one of one of my favorite books just because of all the the different layers of truth in it and slanted truths. There's always new things I'm finding when I read it, if you if you unpack it and, and look between the lines.
1: huh. Of course.
0: All right. Well, I think that kind of concludes all that we wanted to point out to everyone about uh, the Great Gatsby and to talk about with you today. Um, thanks for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed our discussion about the Great Gatsby. Um, you can find this podcast also, by the way, on TreeCityRecords dot um, We there's a there's some other podcasts you might want to check out too while you're there. There's a sports podcast that I life um, so dope podcast that uh, my friends um they do and post on there but um yeah stay tuned to see what we talk about next um i'm not quite sure what we want to get into but i'm i'm looking forward to it because i I know it'll be good no matter what (laughs) all right thanks everybody tell the truth but tell it slang